0: Well, good morning. We're going to continue in the Word through the book of Titus. So as you make your way there, I want to ask you, I'm not sure how many kids we have this week, Josh. I think a bunch of people are out sick, actually. Uh, the uh, Anybody remember those years when their kids were little and they brought home every plague known to man? I think some of our... Uh, Some of our families are experiencing that this week. And can I get lights on up here? Please. I'm old. I need to see. Uh, (laughs) But um, I'd like to uh, begin our time in the Word this morning uh, by asking two big questions as we begin. Uh, Number one, is the gospel alone enough? Is the gospel enough? To save people from sin and death and hell, and then to transform their lives in the present, and then to glorify them for all eternity. Is the gospel alone enough? Or do we need to add something to the gospel in order to help people to be really saved? Do we need to add anything? Uh, Here's the second question. Can something outside a person change him or her on the inside? Is there something you can do? Is there some set of circumstances uh, or an environment that you can create or a set of practices that you can refrain from that will make you holy and acceptable to God? Now these are not idle questions. I'm not... Asking for no reason. In fact, uh, the reason I'm asking is because I would argue that inside of every one of us is a deep desire either to do something or to refrain from doing something in order to make ourselves feel worthy of being saved. And so since the very beginnings of the church, uh, there has been virtually an uninterrupted chain of teachers from the very beginning of the the founding of the church, telling people, number one, that the gospel of salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, received by a, a gift from God as grace alone, is insufficient to to save you and to transform your life for eternity. And number two, that you need to add some other things or thing to be a real Christian. Now, what the additional thing or things uh, are has varied over time. Now, sometimes it was things like, now, if you want to be a real Christian, you can't get married. And if you do get married, you can't have sex with your spouse. Uh, There have been... Um, other times when it has been well if you want to be a real christian well then you need to keep the the seven sacraments by the way it wasn't until the 1200s that they said they were seven before that it was just two um, but so you got to keep the sacraments you got to do all this you got to do this and you got to show up at church a certain number of times and um and if you if you want to be a real christian you can't drink if you want to be a, a real Christian, uh, you have to have a certain length of skirt. Uh, if you want to be a real Christian, you can't wear makeup if you're a woman. Okay. To which the great Presbyterian preacher, John, Donald Gray Barnhouse said, Look, I'm a farm boy, and here's what I know about it. If the barn needs painting, you paint it. All right. <laughs> but, 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 but in any case, there have been times where there have been people who said, well, if you want to be a real Christian, you can't cut your hair. My uncle grew up in a group called the Worldwide Church of God. And in the Worldwide Church of God under Herbert W. Armstrong, you had to keep all of the Jewish feast days and all of the Jewish law. Uh, there have been uh, all kinds of things that people want to add on to the Gospel. And because, and the idea is is that is that, well, the Gospel alone is not enough. And something outside you can really transform you. And it's got to be the right diet. It's got to be the right dress. It's got to be the right set of behaviors. It's got to be uh, the right schooling method for your kids. And if you do all of the things and check off all of the boxes, well then, you'll get everything right. And these things go to the heart of the gospel. And it is essential to get the answers to these questions therefore right because eternal life and eternal death literally hang on getting the gospel correct. And the passage that we're going to look at today was written so that we might have the answers and then be refreshed from God as the gospel uh, clearly intends for us to experience. God intended for us to be refreshed by the gospel truth that he has given us. And so I want to look at the scripture with you, uh, and I'd invite you to stand if you're able. I want to read verses 10 through 16 of chapter 1 of Titus. This is what the word of God says. Uh, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Let's pray. Father, we want to to get these things squared away, not because we want to be right, although we do. But Father, these things matter more than simply... being able to give the right answer they matter because the gospel matters and people's eternal destiny hangs on whether salvation is my works and good deed doing or whether it is by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone and Father we want to be sure we have the gospel squared away so we can communicate it clearly and so that we can experience the freedom and refreshment that comes from the gospel, rightly understood and believed. And Father, we pray that you would help us in these things this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, the first word in verse 10 is important. It's the word for. And it is there to give you... A, to, to point out to you that there is a conclusion that he's about to draw from the previous section. Now, if you don't remember, the previous section of the Scripture here is where Paul told, told Titus to go and appoint elders and that uh, he needed to identify a certain kind of men, men who were uh, exemplary in their families with their, uh, with their wives and children, men who were exemplary in their personal conduct and their character, and men who were exemplary in their ability to make disciples, uh, to both teach and to correct, uh, to teach what is true and to correct what is false. And this is going to be needed because of the challenges that the church there in Crete that Paul has sent Titus to are facing. Um and so what Paul here is doing is pointing out why these guys are needed and why you need exemplary godly men. And they, need to, they are needed to do the job alongside Titus of protecting the church from false teachers. And by the way, this is one of the primary jobs, according to your New Testament, of the elders at the church. Uh, it is not just to teach what is right, but to identify and protect the church from what is wrong. And it's because there are lots of people that call themselves Christians. There is lots of stuff out there that goes under that label that departs from the gospel and departs from the scriptures and Nevertheless, people are carried away and deceived by it. And it is not simply that they are incorrect in their theology. It is that it has a radical, nasty, terrible effect on their life. What you believe changes how you live. In fact, how you live is a reflection entirely of what you actually believe. Your operational theology reveals your intellectual theology. What you believe in your head comes out in how you live and speak and talk and think. It does. It can't help but do that. We all live out what we believe. And so it matters intensely that you believe that which aligns with the truth of God's Word. Amen? So, uh, look at your Bible with me. See how these false teachers are described. First of all, they are insubordinate. That is, they don't submit to the apostles' authority or to the teaching that they have received. They don't see themselves as recipients of a great gift uh, in the gospel and in the word of God. They see themselves as a great gift. And and so they per- they, they say whatever they want. I have actually met people, believe it or not, who will say things like this. Well, I know the Bible says X, Y, Z, but I think. And I'm always like, well, who are you? Why should I listen to you? Why should I trust your authority? Did you come down from heaven? Have you been raised from the dead? I mean, you know, I always trust the guy who is incarnate God in the flesh and who died for my sins and was raised from the dead. What he says, I will trust. If you haven't had any of those things happen to you, I got suspicions about the, the uh, authority and inerrancy of your word, right? And so they are insubordinate. They don't listen. They don't submit themselves. They are empty talkers. Uh, In other words, they don't have good news to share with people. We have good news, men and women. What do we have? We have the gospel of Jesus Christ, by which, if a person believes that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and was raised from the dead, they can have eternal life. They can have the old life that they used to live transformed into a new life and live eternally in the presence of God forever and ever. Have you got anything better than that? No, they don't. And so Paul says their talk is empty. And they are also deceivers because by their teaching, they lead people astray into error. And finally, uh, Paul calls out who some of these guys are. He says, especially the ones of the circumcision party. Now, these were Jewish guys in the early uh, church era who loved to go around uh, and tell people in those days, you have to believe in Jesus and after that, you better get circumcised and you better keep the Jewish law and all of the feast days. Because if you don't, Well, you know, I mean, you're not really a Christian. To be a Christian, you've got to get to be a Jew first. They were telling people there was something that they could do with their body that would transform their soul. Is that true? No. You cannot change your soul by an act of the body. Now, does your body have an effect on your soul? Yes. But your heart is not transformed by the removal of flesh from your body. Your heart is transformed when the Holy Spirit cuts away the dead part of you and circumcises your heart, of which circumcision of the body was only a picture and a symbol. And so because of all this, uh, Paul is saying, look, action needs to be taken. Titus and the other elders need to silence these guys with a strong rebuke. The gospel is too important to let these guys with their deceptive, false, empty teaching go unanswered because it is worse than it seems. It sounds really good. By the way, false teaching often sounds really Sometimes it can sound really tolerant. Sometimes it can sound much more rational than, than what, you, what the Bible presents. And you go, well, that seems easier to believe. I mean, after all, all the other religions of the world give you a list of things to do. So why not Christianity? How come we don't have a list of things to do? And the reason is because Jesus has already done all the things. And I'm in Him. And so, I don't have to do all the things because they are already done. It's one of the, re- one of the great things that separates faith in Jesus from all, those, all that other stuff. Is that the one who died in my place has already obtained righteousness for me. So, keep on looking at verse 11. Do you see what it says about the effect these guys have on their teaching? It, the word there, it says upsetting whole families by teaching what they should not. Now, the word upsetting is, uh, is used two places in, in your New Testament. One is right here, verse 11, and the other is in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verse 15. You may remember that story, although you don't know what chapter it's in. Uh that Jesus goes into the goes into the temple and he makes a whip and he finds the money changers and he hits them with the whip and flips over all of their tables of all of their stuff okay The word upsetting is the same word that Jesus was upsetting the tables of the money changers, right. I just have this picture of Jesus flinging tables everywhere, and they're just kind of a, a tornado of coins and birds and stuff going in all directions. Right? That is this word that he is, that these guys with their teaching are overturning and making a complete mess of these people's faith when they listen to them. Because all of a sudden, what had been very clear that you come to faith in, in Jesus Christ by grace alone. And then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and he transforms your life over time to make you look like Jesus until the day you stand before God and you glorify him forever with the life that Jesus has saved and transformed. They took what was really clear and they muddied all that water. And they're like, oh, but if you got to check off all these boxes, keep the feast days, get circumcised, keep the law, live like a Jew. They are turning whole families upside down and doing damage to them. And look at the reason why. Look at what verse 11 says. They are doing it for the money. The word there in the ESV is for shameful gain. Now, let me be clear. Uh, The Bible never condemns paying people who faithfully present the word of God. In fact, Paul encourages that in other contexts. But the motives of the guy getting paid are important. Paul was paid, but so was Balaam. You feel me? Balaam was a prophet for hire. He would say whatever anybody wanted them to say, as long as uh, as long as uh, the money was good, right? And there are people out there who will say whatever they need to say in order to get paid. And if Oprah approves, so much the better because I move more product, right? And I'm not being snarky. I'm serious. Some of these people, that is precisely the market they are aiming at. The folks who are easily led astray because they are not shepherds. They are there to shear the sheep and take as much wool as they can off of every one of them they are there to separate the naive from their money you know they are the the religious equivalent of P. T Barnum who famously said there's a sucker born every minute right and they are looking for people to take advantage of like our modern day prosperity preachers have you heard these have you heard some have you seen some of these things? walking around in a $5,000 suit, arguing that they need a third Gulfstream Five. Right? Here's an indicator you might be in it for the money. If you think that God would tell you that, you know, what I really need is another $60 million private jet to ride around in in case the other two are in the shop. I mean, really? You can't fly commercial like a regular person? Right? Oh, I forgot you're God's anointed, that's right. Really? You understand what I'm saying? It's one thing to get paid, it's another to be in it because you get paid. And ideally, the man of God, according to previous verses here in chapter 1, if you go back here, Verse, uh, verse. Uh, um, let me put my glasses on. Can't read verse numbers without them. It says, not greedy for gain. In other words, if you're a if you're a leader, a teacher, an elder in a church, you can't be in it for the money. The right kind of guys are the guys who would do it for free. And you pay them so they can devote full-time energy into it, not so that, uh, not because they wouldn't do it if they weren't paid. I could go off here on a whole tangent, and I'll, I won't do it. But nonetheless, okay. Uh, verse twelve uh, might make you cock your head just a little bit and go, "What is Paul talking about here?" Uh, because he quotes it's it, he quotes a pagan prophet uh, someone known to history uh, whose name was Epimenides and because of the nature of the quotation which is pretty 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 biting right he says cretans are always liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons now you should know that Epimenides was in fact himself from crete he was a Cretan, so he should know, right? Um, but you should also know that this description is not an idle description. Crete is an island in the Mediterranean, and uh, as such, it was uh, in ancient times and had been for as long as anybody can remember, the home of pirates, liars, and thieves of various kinds. <laughs> okay, it was it was a it was not the place that you would think. You know, I tell you what would be great. These people obviously need a church. We should go plant some. But that's what Paul and his friends went and did. They went, they're like, where is the least likely place for the gospel to grow? Crete. Okay, sounds great. Let's go there. Um, and to, to put it in perspective, okay, in Greek, the word to lie is the word kretanizo. It literally means, if you translate the etymology of the words, to act like a Cretan. Okay, they were renowned for their lying, for their thieving, for their piracy. It was like, y'all seen Pirates of the Caribbean? Okay, you remember when they go to Tortuga? Right? And it's just kind of this place for every disreputable person on the Mediterranean Sea. Right? This is Crete. On the ancient Mediterranean, it's Tortuga, where just every disreputable individual in the world winds up. And this is where the church was planted. And ironically, it is because of the background of these people when the gospel came to them that these that these false teachers, when they came in, found such fertile soil, Right? Because one of the things that's true, and I've seen this happen, is that people who are first-generation Christians, in other words, they didn't grow up in Christian homes, and that have lived kind of a wild and wooly life, the message of Jesus plus is really appealing to them. Because after all, they have this long list of stuff that they did when they were... uh, when they were a true nature's child, firing off all their guns at once because they were born, born to be wild, right? And they did that, right? They did that. They lived that life, and then they met Jesus, and they go, "Oh my gosh, my life has changed." Now, what I want to do is I want to make sure that it stays changed. And so along comes this false teacher and saying, "Well, you know, if you really want to change, and they back up their truck." Of all their religious mess. You need to get circumcised. Oh, okay. I'll get circumcised. Oh, and you need to keep the law. Oh, okay. I better do that. Oh, and you need to... Okay. I better do that. Right? And all of a sudden, people have moved from the freedom that the gospel brings to now being enslaved to a law And a set of rules that they can't keep. And they either become self-righteous. If they think they're keeping it. Or they despair. Because they realize there's no way. And it destroys people's faith. Here's the reality of the gospel. Jesus Freely, as a free gift, gives you everything you need. Everything. Okay? So so when you put your faith in Jesus, you receive salvation as a free gift. Free. Not a free gift like, you know, free gift with purchase. Okay? I'm talking about free, no strings attached. Free. You don't have to earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't work for it. You can't complete a certain number of religious rites and rituals and then receive it. You get it free when you put your faith in Jesus. And then after that, he freely gives you his Holy Spirit who takes up residence in you so that your life might be transformed, so that you might live out the holiness of Experientially, that you receive positionally in Christ, you are declared righteous in the sight of God in the moment you put your faith in Jesus. Are you practically righteous? Not really. So you, ha- so that God gives you the Holy Spirit uh, to live inside you to produce practical righteousness, and He puts you in a community called church so that you can encourage each other and you can grow in that process which is a relational process because god is a relational being he puts his other relational beings in relationship so that they can grow and practice and and turn into what they actually are righteous and transformed and saved creatures and he gives you the word to give you instruction on how to Actually, live out the Christian life. He gives you spiritual gifts so that you don't become just a, 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 a giant sucking sound, um, but you actually give out what's been poured into you, right? He gives you all these things. You don't obtain them by your effort and work. You yield your life to Christ and He gives it to you. Let's keep going. Verses thirteen to sixteen say that you have to rebuke these false teachers because of the devastating effect of their heresies on the church. Now these uh, these verses um, and their teachings tell us that these these things that these people are teaching need a strong rebuke because it has a devastating effect. So look at the first. Sentence of verse 13. This is pretty funny. If you understand what's going on here. He goes, this testimony is true. In other words, the words from Epimenides speak the truth. But notice who Paul thinks it refers to. It isn't his church. It's to these false teachers. (laughs) Which is pretty funny. Right. Because the the whole thing that these false teachers have got going is, well, you know, all of you guys come from a place that's, you know, just kind of pirates, nerdy wells, liars uh, and thieves. And so you need the law. Because otherwise you would be lazy gluttons, evil beasts and liars. Right. And Paul says, well, in fact, there are lazy gluttons, evil beasts, and liars, but they are not the people in the church. They're the people who are the false teachers. This testimony is true. Um, and he is saying, he is answering the false teacher's point. Oh, you think that that's true? And it is. It's true of you. It is true of you, you false teacher. And Paul is hoping, and look, look at, keep looking at the verse here, He says, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. Paul is hoping that a strong rebuke of these guys will actually change them into Christians. That they will have sound faith and so will the people in the church. And his hope is that telling people the truth about these things will turn everybody around. And reorient them to believing the true gospel instead of Jewish myths and commands that come from people who have themselves turned away from Jesus. You see that? He says, Look, I want you to be all to be, I want everybody to be sound in the faith. I don't want you to turn aside to myths and human made rules. Because all these things don't have any power to actually change anybody's life. Verse 15 tells us turning away from the true gospel is not just false, it's useless. Because the law doesn't provide purification. It only points symbolically to the need for it that's actually given by Jesus. Let me explain what he's saying. If you're pure in heart, you are pure only because you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. If that has happened, then all things are pure for you. Okay, when it says to the pure, all things are pure. If you have been purified by faith in Jesus Christ, then all things are pure for you. So you don't need to purify your body by getting circumcised. And you don't need to purify your body by what you eat. And going through all the ritual washings. Is it a good idea to wash your hands? Yes. Is it a good, good idea not to eat certain things? Probably. Right? Um, we don't, you know, if somebody tried to offer me a possum. I would not not eat it because it is a, a violation of the Jewish law to do so. I would not eat it because it's just a bad idea. Right? Uh, they said, you know, hey, would you like to try some coyote? No, I would not, right? Um, and not because it's not a not because there's a reason legally or morally I can't, but because this is something that is a scavenger and a predator, and I don't want to eat that. No, thank you, right? If we got Bambi on the menu, call me. But um, <laughs> but but, yet you understand what I'm saying? It's not an issue of trying to purify your body because all things are pure. So as Peter had his vision in Acts of the sheet that came down with, with all kinds of animals on it, and Jesus is telling him, look, all people are are able to be cleansed by Jesus and all foods are clean because foods was just a way of pointing out the difference between what is pure and what is impure, but now that Jesus has come, He purifies all things and all people. But this is the only way. On the other hand, if you reject Jesus, He says, to the defiled and unbelieving, in other words, if you don't believe in Jesus, you are still defiled. And your mind and conscience can't be purified by anything but Jesus. And so your body is still defiled. You can cut as much, of, as much of your body off as you want. In fact, Paul tells the guys in Galatians that are really into circumcision, you know, look, if you think a little is good, you should cut more. He does. Read your Bible. Okay, cut further back, um, is what he tells them, essentially. Okay, and, and he's being sarcastic because he is trying to make the point that nothing you do to your body changes your soul. You've got to get purified from the inside out, not the outside in. And so what you eat goes into your mouth and then into your stomach and then passes out of your body. You're not purified by what you eat. You're not purified by circumcision. You're not purified by anything outside your body. You're purified by Jesus Christ coming and dwelling within you by faith. And so verse 16 uh, reveals the fruit of the false teachers' lives. It says that they claim to know God, but in reality, their works falsify their claims because they are detestable in what they teach, in their motives for teaching it. They're disobedient to what Jesus clearly taught, and therefore, they are unfit for any good purpose they might otherwise have. In other words, Titus, I'm telling you as clearly as I can, Chillicothe Bible Church, Paul is telling us as clearly as he can that disagreements about something as fundamental as the Gospel are not little areas of departure. But this is big. And if you have anything that you say, Jesus plus this, then you are departing from the Gospel that gives life people. So don't say Jesus plus your political party. Jesus plus the right schooling choice. Jesus plus the right dress length. Jesus plus don't cut your hair. Jesus plus no pants with zippers. Um, you know, Jesus plus no pants for women. You know, Jesus plus, uh, you know, whatever. It's ridiculous. And it not only distorts the gospel and leads people astray, it's, it's actually not capable of producing the transformation that it claims. It yields people who are unfit for any good purpose for God. So, there is a huge and serious danger to false teaching. And some of it, as back then, is still popular today wildly popular I wish I could say that when we cleaned out the library and sorted through the books that we didn't have any heresy lurking in there but we did we got rid of a bunch of it your Christian bookstore has a bunch of the same there are still Christian bookstores around last time I was in one was a couple years ago but they have whole sections of stuff that's popular It sells. The people believe that is false, and it's destructive. So, how do we apply this here at Chile Bible here in 2022? Number one, be on guard against false teaching and listen to the elders when they warn you against false teaching and false teachers. Be on your Not everyone who claims to be a Christian is one. Not everyone who is regarded as a good Bible teacher is in fact a good Bible teacher and a reliable guide to God's truth. So you will need to know the Word. And you will need to learn to be discerning between truth and error and to reject whatever is false. And in addition to that, when one of our elders or the elders together tell you that so-and-so is a false teacher or encourage you not to read or listen to certain people or to support their churches or their ministries or what have you. It isn't because we are narrow-minded and hateful people. It is because we love you. It's because we love you. And we are carrying out our responsibility the reason for which God put us in those roles to shepherd your soul and to lead you to where the good grass is. Amen? So listen to them and submit your heart to the warning they've given you. It's for your protection. By the way, all of you know I'm going to be on sabbatical this summer for about six weeks. I'm still going to show up at church on most Sundays, uh, at least the ones I'm in the country for. Um, And um, uh, but the elders are still going to all be here, and they are shepherds who watch over your souls. So listen to them. The fact that I'm not here should not uh, affect the operation of the church really all that much. You'll have to get listen get to, you'll get to listen to Pastor Josh share the word with you, and that'll be a wonderful thing because he's a very gifted teacher and communicator. And he loves Jesus. And you're going to get to hear him several weeks in a row. And that's a tremendous privilege. He's going to walk you through the Word just like I do. But these other men, Kurt and Rick and Carl and Kenton, these are men who you can trust to watch over you as well. And when they speak, about doctrinal issues, you should listen and heed what they say. Two more things, and then I'm done. Remember that Jesus is enough and seek Him. Jesus is enough. He not only offers the life that is truly life, He is the life that is truly life. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more you love Him, the more you start to look like him. And and so if Jesus is enough, and he is, then you need to seek him in every part of your life. You need to seek him as you're dating, if you're single, Um, as you're married. I hope you still date, by the way, if you're married. Um, Your spouse, I mean, not other people, but, but... You should date your spouse, okay, regularly. Hope you still date. Um, But you should bring the Lord into that. You should bring the Lord into your job, into your finances, into your child rearing. You should seek the Lord in every part of your life, in your relationships with your neighbors, into your social media. Now I'm meddling. But into everything that you do and say and think. Seek the Lord. Seek Him in worship and fellowship with your fellow believers and through your disciple-making day by day. Seek the Lord. And related to that, remember this. Remember that nothing but Jesus will transform you. I know that there is a longing out there in every single heart because it is in mine. And I know it's in yours. To experience transformation of your life. And you are tired of being the the same person in some areas of your life that you have always been. Jesus is the only hope for these things. He is the only person who changes us. You don't need to add, there's not a magic formula, secret sauce. And on top of that, there's no shortcut. Everybody wants there to be something that you can do to change your life immediately. That's not how it works. After you put your faith in Jesus, your heart has been transformed and it's been purified immediately and forever. And you start to experience your daily life and transformation. But what the Bible calls sanctification only happens over time. By daily obedience to Jesus by daily confession of your sin and repentance from it and starting over every time that you fail. But that is the good news. That is the good news. It means if you're a believer and you aren't fully sanctified yet, guess what? Jesus is still working on you. Jesus is still working on you. It isn't because you forgot something. It's because you're in the middle of a process that won't be finished until the day you stand before God in glory. But that Jesus promised he would finish. In fact, the scripture says it this way. He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He will. He will finish his work in you. And all you need to do is put your faith in Jesus and seek Him out day by day by day. And as His life is lived in you, He changes you and transforms you. Amen? So, remember to seek the Lord. Remember to reject false teaching. And remember to That nothing but Jesus will ever change you. And you don't need to add anything else. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I pray that You would help us to remember these things. Help us to remember that Jesus died for all of our sins. And His death actually accomplished its objective. It transformed us and saved us and made us right with You. We have peace with God that can never be taken away. We have membership in Your family, Father, and we can never lose that. Because all who call on the name of the Lord are saved. Every single one of us who call on Jesus Christ out of a need for salvation that we recognize because your Holy Spirit showed it to us. All who respond to that call, Father, are saved. And you keep working in us by your Holy Spirit, by your Word, by our worship, by our fellowship with one another in your body, by our service with the gifts that you've also given to us. Father, you keep working and you keep changing us Father we get impatient sometimes but your work takes time it takes time to bring life to that which is dead and to bring transformation to that which is bent away from you and so Father I pray that you would help us to, to be patient and to seek you and to not look for some silly shortcut that won't work to seek you in the daily life that you give to us and you bless and Father we ask you your help and your blessing your encouragement on every person who is here Father we give your blessing to every person who is here knowing that Jesus died for all of our all of our sins every one of us and Father we ask in Jesus name Amen